Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Beth Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Culture Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. Welcome to episode 18 of Breaking the Surface. Uh, Today we are doing another recording uh, remotely. So we are all in different locations right now doing on Zoom. So if you notice any audio quality differences, that's why. Uh, We've done the last few episodes this way, and we've mentioned in past podcasts that we've been doing that because of some health reasons. And so we're going to talk a little bit about COVID today. It's been a while since we've talked about COVID on the show. And... um, We've sort of had this vague reference, but I guess I just wanted to start by saying I am just recovering from a breakthrough COVID case myself. So both my partner and I had COVID uh, for the last few weeks. And so that kind of gave me, that's the first time we've been sick. That gave me, and we were both vaccinated. So that kind of gave me an insight into the topic, I think in a little bit of a more personal and, and different way. I know um, Anthony's had some experiences within his family. I know um, Taylor and Anthony both go to a church where there's been a lot of cases. And honestly, just our whole region is going through a surge. So that's not really unique to any particular organization in place. We're all kind of struggling with this right now. Um, And for me, I just wanted to talk about it because I think one of the things that's really important to talk about is there's so much talk about being vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And I think it's really just my own personal take, but it's, it's frustrating to be vaccinated and to still get COVID. (laughs) I will say after spending like 18 months in this pandemic, trying to do the right thing, trying to get the shots, trying to social distance, wear the mask, do everything to do that and still get sick is really frustrating. And it's frustrating to hear criticism from people saying, well, this is proof that the vaccines don't work because look at all the breakthrough cases that are happening. So I just wanted to talk about it because I'm actually really, really grateful that I was vaccinated. Um, My experience with it was basically like having a bad cold. Um, We both, you know, just had these lingering kind of congestion and and dry cough issues. We isolated and did everything that we were supposed to do. And honestly, isolating is the hardest part (laughs) for me because I'm very social. And so just being at home was kind of driving me crazy with cabin fever. But um, I've had several family members, my sister and her entire family got COVID. They're, they were all vaccinated, those who were old enough to be vaccinated. I've had several friends who were vaccinated. And I think it's just that time of year where most of us are past the six month mark of being vaccinated. So we have some waning immunity happening. Um, Delta is a little bit more effective in evading the vaccine than earlier variants were. And I just wanted to share my own experience that I I am really grateful that I was vaccinated. I have known people who are in the hospital who are unvaccinated in our area. Two people in their 40s have died in the last two weeks in our hospital who were unvaccinated. Um, So I just wanted to share that personal experience because we've talked about it theoretically on the show before, but having (laughs) actually gone through it now, 
I'm, I'm grateful I was vaccinated and I would encourage, I think maybe folks listening, um, if you're vaccinated and past your six months to think about getting the booster because that's supposed to help. But I just wanted to ask, I guess, you two, what your experiences have been like lately. Uh, maybe I'll go next um, since it's been in the family. So my uh, my youngest son got COVID last spring, I think, and it was pretty much a minor blip in his life. Lost his his smell and his taste for a couple of days and was pretty tired for maybe two days. And then we just got antsy having to stay at home until his quarantine time was over. Uh, my wife and I both got vaccinated and probably about five weeks ago, she got sick. She got tested initially and it didn't test positive. But then about three or four days later, she was just feeling so bad. And she woke up one morning and had lost her smell and her taste. She's like, okay. So took another test and she was positive. So she was a breakthrough case and it hit her like a bus. Um, man, was she miserable. Uh, just straight up from COVID for probably a week and just described it as having her head in a vice. All of her senses were on edge to the point where she couldn't watch TV because it was too loud and it was too bright. She spent the day in a dark room just <laughs> praying for anything to change. Like she was miserable. Mm. And then it triggered her vertigo. And that set off a whole new cascade of things. And she's had vertigo before. But my understanding is that COVID basically attacks your weaknesses. Mm. And man, it found some weaknesses there. It just went at it. And she had about four weeks of genuine miserableness. We were never concerned about going to the hospital, never went to her lungs. And so like you, Beth, I was very glad she had been vaccinated because I, I don't like to think about the impact it could have had had she not. Um, and she's been on the upswing, but man, it has been, uh, it it knocked, my wife does not get sick easily and it really knocked her off her feet. Mm. Uh, so interestingly, I've, I've been vaccinated and I got the booster. I actually got my booster the same day she started being symptomatic. Um, I had already had a plan, but I'm like, okay, well, I'll be sick because she's been um, shedding this virus for a couple of days. I never got sick. I tested three times over two weeks. I never got it then. As far as I know, I didn't get it when my son was sick. Um, now it's possible that I've had it and it's been asymptomatic. I have no idea, but weird. I've been in a household with two people who had it and I haven't, haven't had it. Um, yet, like you mentioned in our church, we have, we spent about a year and a half doing really well. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, buzz through and uh, one person died. Mm -hmm. Several people um, had to be in the hospital. In fact, one person is still, I believe in the ICU has been there 10, 12 days. A mm -hmm. um, couple others have come home with very low, low blood oxygen levels. Um, and a number of people I talked to, they, the way they phrased it was they knew it was serious before, but they didn't take it that seriously, but now they're taking it seriously. Um, because the experience of having it um, really, it just takes something out of you when it hits you hard. I mean, obviously, some people get it in ways that it's minor, but when it's not minor, um, I, I guess from what I have heard other uh, other people describe it now, I don't know that they'd wish it on their worst enemy. So mm -hmm. that's where we're at. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, and my, my perspective isn't necessarily from... Uh, one of having gotten COVID since, uh, of course, I'm vaccinated too. I've made that pretty clear as well as my wife and, and we we have our stances on vaccination and I guess in some ways are disappointed that 
maybe we, we, um, I, I still feel very deeply that we had this chance as a, as a community to really be able to nip this thing. Had we had higher percentages of people participate in the vaccination. And so I still, I hold that stance, uh, but I also hold the stance of loving very deeply some unvaccinated people and, and, um, caring for them as well. And so for me, I, I had said when I first, when, when I knew that my vaccination was going to, was taking effect, like, you know, you have the three weeks after your second dose or whatever, where it's supposed to be, um, effective, felt like I had this new suit of armor on and I was like, cool, it doesn't matter what other people are doing anymore because I've been vaccinated. And I felt at that point, I would have felt very comfortable, like going to large gatherings and, and stuff like that. Just more would have been like apprehension around the, the social weirdness of like, man, I haven't done this in a while. What's it like to be around a bunch of people? Taylor, but in terms was, of, was that the season where you were wearing that superhero costume everywhere? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Okay. That was, um, I was, I was the vaccination man, I think yeah. is what I called myself. <laughs> yeah. Just flying from building to building. And, um, you know, I felt really good about that. It gave me like a sense of peace. And now I'm in an interesting spot because I am entering that six month mark where maybe, uh, the vaccine effectiveness is, is wearing off a little bit. And, my wife also, she just got her booster because she's a healthcare worker. And I know that for her, that was really, really important to get that booster because she feels a pretty major sense of responsibility with her work being a physical therapist. She's in, you have to be in close proximity to the person that you're, that you're working on. If she's doing manipulations or um, helping them stretch and taking them through exercises. I know for her that she feels a sense of responsibility to to be vaccinated and to have her booster and also to wear masks at a level that, that other people maybe aren't doing anymore because she wants to make sure that she's prioritizing the health of her patients, even if her patients aren't necessarily prioritizing their own health a lot of times. And so that has been um, something that I'm really proud of her for. And now where I personally am landing, as I mentioned, I'm at the tail end of that six month period where the vaccine is, is proven to be pretty effective. Um, I'm kind of watching what I do again. I'm not, uh, necessarily like deathly afraid of, of getting COVID because now, uh, having seen so many vaccinated individuals have those breakthrough cases. And for the most part, I think Anthony, you know, you shared your wife's experience. Um, for the most part, they're able to get through that relatively easily. I'm not trying to discount instances of people with breakthrough cases where they get really, really sick. I'm just talking about from my perspective, I'm not, um, afraid of getting COVID as much as I am afraid of like having to miss certain things. And so am I going to be careful leading into Thanksgiving and to Christmas and the time when I want to be able to, to be spending time with my family because the holidays, they sucked last year. <laughs> I didn't get to see people in the same capacity that I wanted to see them. And this year I'm going to be very careful leading into that of, um, making sure that I'm not testing positive, whether I get really sick or not for COVID, um, and not being able to go home and, and hug my mom for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. And so that's where, what I'm feeling right now is just kind of this sense of just frustration, I guess, with the whole thing where it, it's kind of, it's kind of ramping back up and the threat seems to be real again. And even for those that, that are vaccinated and, um, yeah, it's more of a sense of a sense of frustration. I'm not meaning to take lightly, like, I don't care if I get sick. What I'm just saying is that it seems to be real again. 
And I really just don't want to get sick because I've enjoyed the sense of normalcy that being vaccinated gave me for the last couple of months and through the summer. I loved this summer. I don't think I'll um, ever take for granted, you know, summers and, and the freedom that I was able to experience uh, this year was relatively normal. And so, um, yeah, I guess mostly for me, having not gotten sick necessarily, I'm just feeling a sense of frustration. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it, in a way, I feel relieved that I got it because I know what that experience is like now, at least for, for me, you know, it is obviously different and individualistic, like how Sheila reacted is obviously different than how we reacted having gone through it, most of the people I know, like you were saying, Taylor, who are breakthrough cases have recovered at home. Like it's a cold or a fever. And even Sheila, it sounds like, I'm sorry, she's suffering through what she's been suffering through, but has been able to be at home, which is good versus being in the hospital. Um, I think, you know, a couple of things I would say is the boosters have been only available to theoretically select, you know, groups with higher risk compromise, but it is predicted in the next few weeks that's going to be available to any adult in the U.S. Um, for, for any reason. And it the studies, at least coming out of Israel, are showing that that kind of can bring your efficacy back up to 95 percent, including with Delta. So. I would just reiterate <laughs> my encouragement, having interviewed a lot of health experts to get boosted if you you can. Um, I, I'm in a now place where I have a little bit of a natural turbo boost from having just had it, but I'll probably get my booster before Christmas, I think. So I'm good going into the new year. And the fact that I haven't gotten sick all year, I went out to restaurants all summer, I traveled. Um, so I do feel like it protected us as well as it could do. And I think it's important to know, and I try to do this in my reporting because I think anti-vaxxers sometimes focus on breakthrough cases as some kind of proof of failure of the system. Um, And in Michigan, at least 90% of the cases, hospitalizations and deaths are all still among unvaccinated individuals. So it's still a majority unvaccinated targeting disease. And obviously we've seen for people who are vaccinated, it's, it's much less work. So I just feel grateful after all this dread of 18 months of like, what if I get it? And what is it going to mean for me and for my partner, Joe, who has some lung issues. So I was always really worried about him and my nephew, who also is the same, um, that they got through it. My nephew's not vaccinated, but was, you know, able to, to be okay. So I'm just feeling grateful for that, but it, it is frustrating and it makes me even more worried about the unvaccinated people in my life and trying to have conversations with them. I think I've tried to shift my tone a little bit too now to be less strident and judgmental and just any way that I can be loving and encouraging to people to consider getting vaccinated because I'm so worried about what this would have been like for me and for other people if I hadn't had that. I wonder if part of what people are kind of wrestling with is like you pointed out earlier, what is the purpose of the vaccine and what's a reasonable expectation of what it accomplishes? And I think Taylor, like you said, when it first rolled out, there was a, a sense that there was, it was going to be the, um, the be all and end all for us. And I don't know that that was necessarily communicated, but I know that's how I felt. And I think it's how a lot of us felt. Mm. And it's become clear that what the vaccine is doing is like you pointed out, Beth, it, for one, it's trying to keep the hospitals empty or keep the hospitals open for people who um, need hospitals in general, and then also really lowering your chances of death. So it doesn't necessarily stop you from getting it. It's just supposed to give you quite a bit more uh, expectation of a good result if you do get it. So I'm reading the news this week, 
and I, I'm watching the conversation here in the United States. And one of the questions I was having was, what is it about here versus, let's say, other European countries? I wonder how close we are or different we are. Do either one of you know off the top of your head what the United States full vaccination rate is, what percentage of people? Mm. You can't look it up, Beth. It's not off the top of your head. Well, the problem is the numbers are are, are going to drop a little bit now because they just added in the five to eleven oh, group. Gotcha. So it's it's yeah. going to be it's going to dip for a bit. Sixty sixty percent. I'm going to guess it's in the sixty to sixty five percent range. Okay, so I was looking up the share of adults who are fully vaccinated against COVID in the European Economic Area. I'm going to give you a few of them: Ireland, ninety two percent. Uh, Iceland, 91%, Denmark, 88%, Norway, 88%, Belgium, 87%, Spain, 85%, Sweden, 83%, Finland, 82%, France, 81%, Italy, 81%, Germany, 80%. So much higher, but the stories I'm seeing right now is that COVID is surging in Europe again in some of the vaccinated places. And I think it's easy to read those stories and go, well, high vaccination rate hasn't made a lick of difference. Look, it's still spreading. But I, what the what's missing in that story is what are the hospitalization rates and what are how many people are dying once they get it. And so I, I think this might be part of just how we process news. It's easy to take one aspect of discussion or one number that jumps out on us and reach conclusions that aren't warranted when we look at all of it in the big picture. Just to add real quick, the number for America right now is 58.4. Okay. Yeah, so significantly not, not lower. Great. <laughs> so yeah, so then the other thing I wonder is what is happening in all of Europe, basically, such that um, people there are much more comfortable getting vaccinated. What is going on there that is different from here? Does either one of you have speculation? I would say Trump, and I would say. Um, I think we've talked about this in different podcasts in the past, but the sort of emphasis between the difference of an individualistic versus a communal society. Um, That's just my theory. But I I think especially because I've noticed it's more prevalent in Western European countries, the higher vaccination rates, and it's lower in Eastern European countries. Uh, There seems like there's some more hesitancy in some of the Eastern blocks. That's what I was looking at last night anyways. But yes, I would, it became way politicized in America during the Trump administration. And we have a very sort of anti-expert, anti-science sentiment in the country right now that I feel like is based on a lot of individualism. But Taylor, what do you think? No, I think, yeah, I, I would point to a lot of the same things. And then also... I get, I don't have a full picture of, of Europe necessarily and how rural parts of it are. I've been to Europe, but it was always in the cities. I wasn't wandering around the equivalent of the hometown that I grew up in here. Um, but I know a lot of people who feel, I think, sheltered from things that are impacting big cities. And a lot of times they're incorrect. I mean, we've seen, um, COVID really, really hit rural populations and small towns uh, all the same as it would hit uh, Detroit at its peak. But I think a lot of people feel cut off from some of those same threats because they live in in small areas of the country. I'm also curious what you guys think. So another major sort of milestone we just hit is that the vaccine is now available for kids. So that started last week for ages five to 11. And it was really curious to see how that widely that was going to be accepted. I think even for parents who are completely pro-science or pro-vaccine, 
it, you can feel a little emotional about your kids. You can feel a lot more worried about injecting something into them than maybe you, you do as an adult. Um, and I, and I understand that I, I understand the emotionalness around that, but I was kind of, so in like in Grand Traverse County, we're recording the highest vaccination rates in our population are the oldest. And then it declines as you go down. So like 12 to 15 is like 50%, but 75 plus is like 88%. So I was kind of curious to see what the adaptivity would be. And at least anecdotally in Grand Traverse County, the first week they opened the appointments last week, they were like immediately booked within an hour. Um, so I've been seeing lots of pictures of folks waiting in lines of, of people posting pictures of their kids getting vaccinated. So it could just be the same way that we were, some of us were eager in the spring as adults to get, to get vaccinated, that the people who are really excited about it are going to be the first in line and they're going to do it. And the people who are hesitant or anti vaccine for their children, you know, you're just not going to see them out there, but it seems at least there's some initial demand and I'm hopeful that that's going to help because even if COVID doesn't pose as serious of a risk to children as it does to adults, they are major carriers. 20% plus of the cases in our area are coming from kids. The, the return to school is driving the surge in our area. Um, so I'm hoping if nothing else, it'll help protect some of the vulnerable parts of the population and the adults with kids just becoming less of a carrier segment. It's a really interesting I don't know that I have like a not having kids myself have a view one way or the other of like, yep, if you have a five-year-old and they're eligible, you better get in that line. I don't necessarily want to say that, but what is interesting is that as adults, we have this level of autonomy as we see something like a vaccine rollout, we get to say as adults, okay, I want to choose to get vaccinated either to protect myself or protect those around me. And now it's like, because it doesn't pose as serious of a threat to kids, Parents are having to make the decision, I think, more based on are we going to get our kids vaccinated so that they're participating in this common good that we have deemed is important. And the kids don't get that like same say as what I got. I, I've told people the reason I got vaccinated is because I felt like it was my duty to participate in this common good. That is the number one reason. And, and being protected myself was a bonus. But that's, that's strange. I, I don't envy being in the position of making a decision for another person, even if that other person is only five years old. Yeah. What do you think, Anthony? You have, you have, I mean, and I don't think there's any right or wrong answers. I'm just curious, like, have you had that conversation for Vince or he's already probably been in an age group where he could have been, right? Uh, yes, he could be. He had COVID recently enough that it's, he's still within that window of immunity that ought to last. One of the incentives for him, because it wouldn't surprise me if we do, if he does get vaccinated by Christmas, because we have talked about it. Mm -hmm. um, some of his friends have, most of them have not. Mm -hmm. um, one of the advantages is without there being mandates in schools right now in Michigan about what to do because of COVID cases, schools are creating interesting kinds of scenarios about when you have to quarantine and for how long and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of it's based on if you've been vaccinated or not. And so there is an incentive. We talked before about like the carrot approach to this rather than the stick. Um, that's the carrot, especially for families, but also for kids who enjoy being at school with their friends. If you get exposed and you haven't been sick before or you haven't been vaccinated, you've got this quarantine window they expect you to take. Well, suddenly everything changes if you get vaccinated. You don't have to unless you become symptomatic. And so I, I think we are going to see kids doing that as well, especially kids who are playing sports. 
Uh, nobody wants to not be able to play your sport for two weeks because you've been exposed. And so now you're looking for, let's call it immunity. Either you've had COVID or you're getting the vaccine. So between those two things, it is far less likely as a student that your life gets disrupted. And so that's part of what I've talked with my son about mm -hmm. um, because he doesn't really care either way. I mean, he doesn't have a strong opinion about it. Um, and you know, my concern about him individually isn't as high because he's already had COVID once and it was pretty much a blip on his radar. But like you said, there's something about that participation and that consideration of others that I, I think is worth weighing also. I just wonder like the next big debate. I mean, we've already seen what happened with masks and that's still a huge fight in classrooms right now with different schools having different mass mandates. And, you know, in our area, TCAPS, which is the largest school system, is going to lift its mass mandate in January with the understanding that people can get vaccinated. So I think there will be incentives for some families understanding that the viral spread has been a lot higher in schools that don't have mass mandates than those who do to get protected, just knowing like the mass protection is going away um, soon. And, and some families who don't want masks and don't like vaccines won't have to have either, but people who do want those will have time to get it before it's lifted. But I, I, I already see parents, the big fear is that, ma or is that va vaccine mandates are going to come down to the school systems at, at some point. Um, I've already seen talk about that in California. And I think parents are really afraid of that. And if you think people are touchy or sensitive about mass mandates or vaccine mandates for adults, you should definitely see how they react when it's their kids. Um, which again, I, I do understand the emotionalness around it. Um, I just think it's going to be an interesting conversation in the coming months because we have had vaccine requirements for other types of diseases for schools. They have, at least in Michigan, we have exemptions for some of them, but you know, if you're not vaccinated for measles, for instance, um, you're allowed to be excluded from school. If there's a measles outbreak um, by the health department, they can pull you out of class. I would imagine that something like that might happen for COVID at some point, that it'll be required to get vaccinated for COVID, just like MMR or other diseases. You can file a religious or, not, or philosophical objection, but if there's a COVID outbreak, your kid will not be allowed to be in school until it's passed. I could see something like that happening. So it wouldn't be that they couldn't go to school. It would just be if that disease shows up, they can't be there. Right. And right now that's true for uh, most you know, schools in our area. They can okay. require vaccines, but we do have philosophical objections allowed in, in Michigan. But the health department. What is a right. philosophical objection as opposed to a religious objection? Yeah, Michigan allows both. But yes, but what is a philosophical objection? I don't want to get vaccinated. <laughs> so ah. they have to, they typically have to, at least, and this is, at least this is for measles or whooping cough pertussis. They typically have to fill out a form. They have to go through some counseling to make sure, like, do you understand the ramifications of this choice of not getting vaccinated, which irritates some people, but that's what the requirement is. But they can file documentation with the school saying, I object, you know, for whatever reason for my child getting vaccinated. And then that's documented. But again, if there's an outbreak or a risk, then all those kids are can be pulled from the health department out of school until the risk has passed. Okay. I'm on a rabbit trail in this for a little bit. <laughs> okay. So um typically historically, the religious objection to vaccines has had to do with the use of fetal stem cells, right? Mm -hmm. Um th that is not an issue in the vaccines being used in the United States for COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I have yet to find like a Christian think tank or organization that really keeps watching this, who has said that 
vaccines are off limits for Christians. Sorry, the COVID vaccine is off limit for Christians. They've all given it the green light. Everyone that I have found so far. Hmm. And I've noticed some articles where it's looking like this might be a tough one if it would go to the courts because the basis for the religious exemption is simply not scientific, which might be why they're adding the the, uh, philosophical. But this made me think of something broader. I'm continuing to read books on the history of racism in the United States. And I was reading one this week where they were talking about how many black people were experimented on, um, not just in life, but in death, uh, the way cadavers were used and all kinds of scientific breakthroughs that have come from the desecration of human bodies. Mm. And we use them like we don't even know it's there and we use them, but it makes me wonder, depending what they are, would we change what what we're uh, giving ourselves permission to access when it comes to medical care? I mean, even all the eugenic stuff, whether it was in Nazi Germany or early things in the United States, there were lots of medical breakthroughs that were achieved in really horrible ways. Mm. And I, I think it'll be interesting, at least I hope there is a discussion, an interesting discussion for um, people like me who would not be um, afraid to use a religious objection if I felt like I was participating in some kind of evil by the way something was either created or tested, et cetera. I, I don't have a problem with that, but it's this issue is making me think we've not spent enough time making sure that we are consistent in the things that we single out to be concerned about. Yeah, it seems like almost a convenient umbrella, <laughs> a religious ob- objection for what is ultimately a philosophical objection. And, mm-hmm. and not every state, I should note, allows philosophical objections. And the federal mandate that's coming down from Biden's administration does not allow those uh, uh, um, exceptions. I think if you're an employer who has 100 plus employees that the mandate applies to, you can substitute weekly testing for a, vac- a vaccine. But that's still going to be quite annoying and costly for a lot of people, especially as insurance companies start stopping pay, paying for it, um, which I think they will. Um, the other, I mean, what I'm curious about, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. So the Aaron Rodgers thing has been happening this past week where he um, was found out to be not vaccinated. He has COVID. He, he couldn't play a big NFL game this past weekend. And he gave a really terrible, I mean, he gave an interview. I don't think I've ever seen someone who is beloved as Aaron Rodgers fall as fast as Aaron Rodgers had. And maybe we can chalk that up to the, the quickness of our cancel culture. But um, I think, you know, autonomy is one issue we we're just talking about um, that this COVID vaccine really challenges a, a lot of our beliefs about autonomy and the right to make our own health decisions and then privacy. And I'm just curious, like, I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers and people who think like Aaron Rodgers think that their health information is theirs that is private, you know, that it doesn't matter to the public whether Aaron Rodgers is vaccinated or not, and he shouldn't have to disclose that. Now, obviously he has chosen a profession that has rules and requirements in place for its players. And if he wants to be in the NFL, he has to follow those guidelines, which include COVID protocols. And he has apparently, I think it's worse in his case because he lied about it. He made it sound like he was immunized or vaccinated and he wasn't, and therefore posed a risk to his entire team, not just himself. But I wanted to get your guys' thought about the Aaron Rodgers situation and particularly like what you think about the right to privacy with your vaccination status. Yeah, I was really hoping when Anthony had mentioned sports and then I think you had even used the term immunized, which is uh, one of Aaron Rodgers' favorite terms, is 
it's frustrating. Um, not just because I'm pro vaccine. I actually think it has maybe less to do with my stances on vaccination as it is that he was, he was trying to be secretive about, about it. And so you could, you could definitely tell that through his approach, um, while he was trying to cling to this principle of like, um, my, my body, my choice, uh, I, this is a very private matter and, and, and I shouldn't have to be under the microscope in this way. Um, is that while those, he tried to state that those were his, his principles, um, he was also secretive about it. And so you have two really high level athletes that are kind of in the spotlight for this right now. And Aaron Rodgers would be one of them. And then also Kyrie Irving would be the other one. And while they kind of seem to hold the same stance regarding a vaccination, Kyrie at least stuck to his guns right from the beginning is he's like, Hey, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I'm sorry. And if that changes, cool, I'll join my team. But he, he made it very clear from the beginning, like, okay, so I can't play. And the Nets have decided that they're not going to let me play even in away games, even though his availability, he could be available based on um, the requirements, depending on the state, is that New York doesn't allow them to be in the arena if they're unvaccinated. And his team said, okay, so you could theoretically be available for 42 away games, but no home games. That's half the schedule. I'm sorry, sir. We're not going to let you be on the team this year. And he's, he's stuck it out. And so I guess that's a credit to him in that sense. Uh, and then on the other hand, we have Aaron Rodgers, who's kind of was like a deer in headlights during his interview. And it's like, buddy, how strongly do you really believe in this position if you're kind of trying to hide it? And so that's been like almost my main issue with Aaron Rodgers, particularly in a sport where most of the time you're outdoors. So I guess that that's one thing there. If we're talking about from a safety standpoint, practices and games can be outside uh, as opposed to the NBA where it can be a crowded arena. But that's been my my main issue with him is how strongly do you really believe in something if you're afraid to state your position clearly? And just to quickly add on to that. So he they've actually gotten fine now. Uh, Roger's gotten pretty hefty fine by the NFL. And it's like he lied. He used the word immunized. So he lied about his vaccination status publicly. And it sounds like within his team, at least with some of his teammates, he lied about a doctor clearing him in the NFL. The NFL has said very clearly that the advice that he claimed to have gotten from a doctor did not happen. Um, He broke protocols by going to a Halloween party with other players. Um, And so the NFL has rules about gathering if you're unvaccinated with other players. So he went to a party. So that's what he's getting fined for. Um, and he also didn't wear a mask when talking to reporters, which is another violation. So like you're saying, Taylor, like he not only repeatedly lied about it, but he repeatedly exposed other people, um, including media and other teammates. And for me, like that is where you're right. I don't I don't agree with Kyrie Irving's stance, obviously, but I appreciate his principledness about it and being willing to at least follow the regulations and not um, expose other people. But what Aaron Rodgers did, I just, I just kind of find despicable, but it does, I am still interested in that privacy question. So um, Anthony, I want to let you weigh in on any thoughts you have on the whole situation. I, I think I agree with the difference you both made between Kyrie and Aaron. Uh, I refer to them both by their first name. Um, <laughs> you know them pretty well. Yeah, we're pretty <laughs> yep. um, uh, I don't know about the publicity issue, Beth. I'm, I'm trying to think of other examples where we have to make known that we're okay. Um, maybe the closest thing would be like if my son wants to play sports in high school, he has to go get a physical and it has to be signed 
that side physical will will give health information about my son. Um, Because you know, it doesn't tell you what he has, but it will tell you what he doesn't have for sure. I'm not sure if those keep track of vaccinations or not. Um, But so, so that's one example of a way in which we give other people access to some of our medical information because we want to have access to something that's being offered. So let's take um, the NFL and the NBA. Once again, both private businesses, so to speak, uh, they can make the rules that they want, right? And so at that point, if you want access to the sport or to the arena, um, they they have the, I guess it's the right, um, to ask you to meet certain requirements. I Probably right's not the right word because I know um, there are certain legal standards around that, but I I know the whole HIPAA thing gets misused also. I mean, doctors can't tell other people, but you can, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You can. So uh, I, to me, I think it once again, we've talked about this before, even when it comes to vaccines, I, I don't like the uh, idea of a federal government becoming overreaching and uh, really starting to control our lives in certain ways. While I recognize in some ways or reasonable. But when it comes to anything else, and this would be anything that moves into the private sector, I just think people have a right to say, uh, if you're going to be on my property, you need to have this in place. If you're going to be an employee, et cetera, I mean, there's safeguards to that already in place about discrimination, but uh, I I don't know. I don't think I have a problem with it. Uh, Well, (laughs) see, I do and I don't in principle. I'd have to give really more uh, specific situations, I think, to know. I don't care, like personally, Beth, if someone asked me if I'm vaccinated, I would have no, I have no problem telling them I am. Mm-hmm. I would have no problem telling them I wasn't. Hmm. Um, I have noticed that unvaccinated people are more hesitant, I think, because of the perceived social shaming um, element of it. You know what it kind of reminds me of is like the zombie movie trope where someone gets bitten and they're afraid to tell everyone because they know they're uh, going to get killed. <laughs> It's like yep. you're kind of hiding it, but you're also like at that point a risk to the entire community. So I do understand, like I even felt that way when I got COVID. And just like Sheila, you had mentioned, I tested negative originally. So we have this like, I think one of the things I've come away from having COVID learned is like we have this emphasis in our country on productivity. And so so many of us are used to like getting a cold and you still go out and you still eat at restaurants and you still work. Like you're kind of like, suck it up buttercup. It's just a cold. So I thought I had just a cold and I had a negative test to tell me it was just a cold. So I was still going out, you know, and at a certain point my symptoms got worse and then I started staying in. But when I got tested again and came back positive, I had to tell some people, I'm so sorry. I know I was coughing around you and I told you I didn't have COVID, but I did. And so it made me realize that first of all, even if you have a cold, maybe you shouldn't be exposing people to your cold, like maybe just stay home if you have any symptoms, but our country has never really operated that way. It's always like go out in public, mm-hmm. even if you're sick. Um, but I don't know, just with the Aaron Rogers thing, just to circle back and maybe close that loop. I just, I think, I think, you know, obviously if your status affects other people, it's not necessarily going to be private. I think that's what it comes down to. And we have talked before in this podcast about, you know, there's a lot of examples that are classically given about you can't drive a car drunk. Like you, you know, you don't have a right to just like do whatever you want to do. It's not like always your decision. We have Congress right now looking at passing legislation that will require automakers to have technology within cars that will not let you drive when you're drunk. 
And so like, that would be a huge change in the auto industry. Like right now you can get in a car unless you had a DUI before and have a forced um, breathalyzer, but all cars in the future could have breathalyzers. So I, I guess like when I'm, my comparison with that would be we we're we're comfortable putting in restraints where you don't even have a choice in some moral situations like driving drunk we're looking at moving to that to not even allow people to pose a public risk so why would vaccinations be any different so to go back to the car analogy it would be very different if we were putting a breathalyzer on the front door of our house or on our refrigerator or on the cupboard where the yeah. alcohol is kept right because we the idea would be that you're in your house and okay um, it, it was when your actions can impact public health that it makes a difference. Yeah. I think that's the distinction you're making. Yeah. That's a good, good way to summarize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just look at, I, um, Michigan's own Kirk cousins, I believe is also unvaccinated and he's a franchise quarterback as well. And I, well, I don't agree with his position either necessarily. I think that his stance has been a little bit more transparent than someone like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers seemed, uh, very content just like flying under the radar, hoping he would never test positive, I guess was still um, going to parties, like you said, uh, and wasn't wearing a mask and different things like that. Kirk has kind of said, yeah, you know, I'm unvaccinated, but I'm going to do everything I can to still be able to fully participate safely. So I'm going to make sure that I'm getting tested regularly and all those types of things. And so for me, it's just kind of an appreciation of like, okay, these are the rules that are in place for me to still be able to participate in a sport and chase a championship with my teammates. Um, I'm going to be very open that I'm unvaccinated, but that I'm going to follow all, all the rules. And, um, you know, that doesn't seem to be the way that the Aaron Rodgers has done it. Yeah. I feel like there's a compromise going forward of like, I don't know that it's like super helpful. I mean, I get frustrated with unvaccinated people, but I don't know in any situation that shame is the most effective tool to use against people. I'm generally, I guess, against, against doing that, against shaming people. Um, because I think within that culture, it does promote deceit. Um, and I, you know, even myself, like I felt a little ashamed of having COVID and I hadn't done anything wrong. You know, I don't even know how, quite how we got exposed or how I got sick. And I thought I had, I've masked in public and I thought I did all the right things. And it felt a little like embarrassing or dirty in some way to have COVID. And, and, and I get it now. I get why it, like, if you have a trip coming up that you're excited about, or you have like social plans, or you're on a, like a, an athletic team, like a high school student, I understand, I think now a little bit better, the compulsion to just not get tested because you don't want to know. <laughs> you don't want the responsibility of knowing you're positive. You don't want to be socially limited. You don't want to have to stay at home and isolate. I know people who have been positive for COVID. These aren't friends, but I know people who have like continued to go to church or continue to like go out in public with COVID, even knowing they had COVID because they felt okay. And I just, I, I just wanted to chat about all this with you guys today, because I think I just see it a little bit different now having gone through it. I'm a little more sympathetic to the fear of being shamed and ostracized. And I've tried to give a lot of grace when people have told me, I'm sorry, I might've exposed you to COVID. Cause I'm like, that's probably going to be me someday. And it, and it was, um, but I do think I have more of a respect now for like what you're saying, Taylor, if someone's unvaccinated, but willing to take protocols, even just wearing masks, you know, in an, in a social situation or indoors, um, if they're willing to do some of that stuff to kind of protect others, then I have much more respect if they're forthright about their status than this sort of hiding it kind of thing that Aaron Rodgers did 
um, where he, you know, put a lot of people at risk because he wasn't honest. Yeah, I'd have much preferred he just said, hey, everybody, I'm doing the following things because he was taking a bunch of things. You know, he was doing his own self-defined immunization process. Dr. Rogan. Yeah. yeah, just (laughs) Just tell us, you know, and then people can respond accordingly. It lets other people mitigate their own risk, you know? So if someone tells me I'm unvaccinated, are you comfortable getting together? Then I can decide yes. Or I can say, well, why don't we hang out outside or whatever it is. But I think lying to people, it it transfers risk to them that they haven't consented to. Yeah. I think we just have to be really transparent. And I, I like what you had said, Beth, where now you feel like you have the true perspective maybe of, of, uh, unvaccinated or people who have gotten COVID and, and feel that sense of like dirtiness. And it's like, it can literally happen to anybody, even people who are practicing responsibly. And, um, I think that, yeah, it's just an example of, we have all, t- we reserve all types of judgment for people. And that once we actually experience some of the things that they experience, we're like, Oh, yeah, maybe I was uh, too forthright with my judgments on stuff like that. I think on our show, we always come back to like grace as being <laughs> and kindness and, you know, compassion, these general things as as good practices. And I think that's what it allowed me because I, I think I've felt very angry and a little bit. I do think I've been a little bit judgmental, maybe even some comments on the podcast in the past. And I'm trying to be more compassionate and even, you know, like having a conversation with a family member who's unvaccinated that I've been really worried about after I had COVID, I, I just went for a different approach. I just feel like I've been angry in the past. And instead this time I was like, you know what? I have to tell you, it is frustrating to be vaccinated and still get COVID. It's, it's, it's frustrating to go through this. And I understand that when you probably see this, it makes you question whether the vaccine even works and like, and just was able to have a really nice and honest conversation with this person that I, I think maybe open them up a bit more to considering getting vaccinated or at least to be able to talk to me without being afraid that I'm going to judge them every time we have a conversation about it. Yeah. It's funny because for me, um, you know, I have dear friends and I also have family members that are unvaccinated and it's, it's, I don't judge them as harshly. And I know why the reason for that is, is because I actually like them. I like (laughs) them as people. And of course I don't like Aaron Rodgers. He's a quarterback for the green Bay Packers. And so I'm, I'm finding myself like judging him even differently than I am. Maybe some of my close friends and family that are, that are unvaccinated. And so it is very interesting how, when we, when people really know us and we really know people, I think we're more likely to extend grace to them and and not be quite as judgmental. And so then what we have to remind ourselves of as people is just, Hey, let's treat the people that we don't know as well um, with that same level of grace. Anthony, do you want to have the last word today? Uh, sure. And the last word will lead us into a future discussion, I think, because you brought something up, Beth, that I think would be fun to talk about on a future episode. And that is this idea of what is it that we could have a reasonable expectation that we are consenting to when we go out into public? Mm. Um, I need to figure, figure out how to phrase that better. But there was something you said about we're not consenting to be put at risk. And uh, I'd love for us to explore that, like what it looks like to try to come up with a a reasonable standard that if I go to this place or that place, I have good reason to expect that I will be exposed to this, but not that, or that the people who are showing up are showing up with a similar set of expectations about how we're using this public space. I'm not even sure where to go with it, but you mentioned <laughs> whatever you said just got me thinking about that. And I think that could be a fun conversation. 
Yeah, I would love I would love to talk about that because I think there is an underlying theme of the whole COVID debate, which is that people saying like, well, we're all going to die sometime or we can't control our risk in life. You know, we never know, like we, we could get hit by a car, a meteor could hit Earth, you know, whatever random circumstance could kill us. And that is true. But we certainly engage in risk mitigation practices in every part of our lives. Um, so I would love to have that conversation about what's reasonable to expect and and not only of a public spaces, but maybe of each other. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Definitely. 